For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolliou. Here's a question. Are consumers willing to pay a financial price to buy from and work for purpose-driven brands? While the answer is increasingly yes across generations, it's especially true among Gen Zers between the ages of 20 and 25. According to a recent study by the consultancy Cubis Martini, 65% of Gen Zers polled said they are willing to pay an average of 48% more for products from purposeful brands. And 49% said they are willing to earn 20% less to work for a purpose-driven brand. Moreover, 63% of respondents said it's very or extremely important for businesses to step up and address challenges facing society. What the data clearly suggests is that operating with an authentic purpose creates additional value for both consumer and employer brands. To discuss the study, the expectations of Gen Zers, and the importance of placing purpose over profit, I am joined by Brad Brenniger, founder and principal at Cubis Martini, executive in residence at Duke University's Innovation and Entrepreneurship Initiative, Brad has four decades of agency experience helping both consumer and B2B brands achieve sustained growth through a focus on purpose and values. Brad, welcome to Beyond Profit. Hey, Ken, it's uh, so nice to be here. I I love the idea of this podcast, and I just as much, if not more, love the idea of a center for brand purpose at the ANA. It's become a pretty compelling conversation, and I'm really thrilled to see the biggest, most important industry association take it up and, and push it forward. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And for carrying the purpose flag. Really appreciate it. So Brad, my first question off the top, why did you focus your study on Gen Zers? In other words, is there a stark difference between this demographic and say boomers and others in terms of the value that they place on brand purpose? Well, there are a couple of things in that. First, I'll admit that I got the idea for this study um, from the Gen Zs in my Duke class. As we were talking about, and the topic of the class is customer empathy and brand experience design and purpose has become a very important part of that conversation. And as we talked, I could you know, really feel how the topic of purpose resonated with them. So I test piloted this survey among the 150 some students that I've had across all the different semesters I've taught. And I was blown away by the results. So I you know, decided based on that to follow up with uh, this nationally representative sample of, mm-hmm. uh, of Gen Zs. You know, why Gen Zs? In a couple of years, they will overtake millennials as the biggest cohort of consumers and employees. So in that famous hockey analogy, we're uh, skating where the puck's going to be. They're also clearly a new force in society. If millennials were digital pioneers, Gen Z are the first true digital natives. Uh, if you think about it, no social media, no Billie Eilish uh, recording uh, out of her bedroom. No Greta Thunberg um, having the microphone to be a 15-year-old changing the conversation around climate change. Kylie Jenner, whose online community helped make her the youngest billionaire ever with the launch of Kylie Cosmetics and who with a single post helped uh, turn Casper betting into a phenomenon. They just have a whole way of looking at and living in the world that the prior generations don't. And we need to be aware of, of where they're going to take us. They're also demographically totally distinct from prior generations, far more ethnically diverse, dramatically more gender diverse. And that's impacting society. You know, think inaugural poet and IMG model Amanda Gorman or Lil Nas X, the first openly LGBTQ country music award winner. And, you know, it's just <laughs> very interesting group of people who need to be focused on because they are already affecting business and it's only going to grow over the next few years. Brad, as as you know, social issues dominate the concerns of Gen Zers, uh, most notably racial equality. Are there differences in the concerns across the Gen Z demographic or is this more of a unified cohort? And I know you only study the 20 to 25 demographic, but if you were to expand that, are you seeing similar kinds of uh, concerns? 
Let me step back and think what you're asking there is in part about what's the difference between the Gen Z and other generations in terms of the value they place on brand purpose. And then within the study, what did we see on Gen Z specifically? So I've seen a lot of research outside of this study that says Gen Z has higher expectations of brands than other generations, more intensely believes that brands have a role to play in society. And because of their unique demographics and experiences may be focused on different issues than say millennials or boomers. That said, I believe if we were to repeat the study among millennials, we would see very much the same basic patterns. And we'd still see it among boomers, although probably not at the same elevated levels because they tend to have come from a much more pragmatic kind of existence uh, growing up. But after all, if you think about it, you can trace the whole idea of brand purpose back to the rise of affinity marketing back in the 90s. You know, the assumption was that people would prefer brands that supported their interests. The success of that, you know, shows in part the emotional, you know, the part of the emotional appeal of a brand is the company that it keeps, or in the case of purpose, the issues that it's Supports. So, you know, in my experience, we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves and brand purpose can, you know, totally fill that need. So I am looking forward at some point to actually doing a millennial and boomer survey just to see how those patterns shape out. But I do think um, it's still right to be overly focused on, on the Gen Z uh, cohort. So within the survey, it was really interesting. Uh, now, not surprisingly, you know, you cited the statistics about the percentage of people who are willing to pay a premium for a purpose-driven brand, right. a lower salary, and, and how much they would take. So, I, you know, I found those numbers, frankly, astonishing. And not surprisingly, people who say they would do those things are certainly care more about more issues. But I was also really surprising to me that different subgroups within the Gen Z cohort have a lot more in common than they are different. Racial equity and access to healthcare were the top concerns that were expressed across the board. You know, in the survey, women, not surprisingly, tended to care more than some of the others about gender equity. Respondents showed greater concern than others about ending gun violence. That said, <laughs> maybe the most interesting group was the uh, 24% of Gen Zs who voted for Donald Trump. Somewhat counterintuitively, given a lot of the conversation out there, top concern is preservation of democracy. Uh, generally speaking, they tend to be less concerned about the other social issues, but you know, they were, they were a bit of an outlier. It's also an important thing to recognize, though, that you know, 24% did vote for Donald Trump. So this is not a uniformly progressive group of people. It is not uniformly a democratic group of people, but it does have progressive activist tendencies. And you know, even within the more conservative side, they want to be associated with purpose as well. Half of them said that they would pay a premium for a purpose-driven brand. The question is, are they looking for the same purpose? So one of the things that I found really interesting about your study, Brad, is that Gen Zers are confident in the ability of government to tackle societal issues. And they put faith in small businesses versus uh, large brands. So is that sort of an indictment against large brands? Well, first, I was very surprised to see how much faith they did put in, in government, given how much dysfunction we seem to see every day. But I don't know that it is so much of an indictment. First, I do suspect that small business, because it's more generally woven into the fabric of daily life, is naturally seen as more purpose-driven. It's always been in some ways, small business is a real competitive advantage versus, you know, the rise of mega retailers like Amazon and, and Walmart. And everything I've seen in Gallup surveys for the last seven or eight years continues to show that people respect small business. And I think people can, can empathize with small business because it's 
you know, it's a lot closer to them as well. But I do think it's also a matter of degree. I did see more confidence in the survey than I would have expected in both big tech and Fortune 500 companies to be part of the solution. And I was also not surprised to see a certain level of skepticism about Wall Street, which I think they all see as more transactional. From my work beyond this study, I would say that the expectation of large brands, however, is very high. If they don't deliver, it will help fuel the growth of the brands that are currently small, but are the upstarts that could end up taking over over time. I do think these young adults also recognize that if pointed in the right directions, because of, of their scale, big brands have greater power to make a difference than small brands. So they certainly are hoping for it and looking for it. Just curious, Brad, in your study, did you happen to mention nonprofits and their feelings about nonprofit organizations? Did not include that in the survey. Um, it's a good note to uh, think about when I do the uh, millennial work. So tell me about any kind of surprises that you may have found about Gen Z in your study and their affinity to work for and buy from purposeful companies. I fielded this study to expand the conversation about the economic power value of purpose. We know companies are increasingly called upon to deliver you know, the, the double bottom line of financial success and social impact. Whether it's a surprise or not, it's a pleasant outcome for sure. I found what I like to think of as a, a purpose premium that I call the double top line. And you've already referred to the statistics. You know, when you get over three quarters of Gen Z saying they will pay more for a purpose-driven brand or accept less pay for the chance to work for a purpose-driven company, it's a real thing. When you four in 10 say they'll do both, you say, okay, there is economic value here. And only a small minority said they would do either. Mm -hmm. And the size of the premium was also a surprise to me. Somebody saying on average, I'll pay 48% more for the privilege of being able to consume a purpose-driven brand. That's a lot of money. It's probably even more so to say that I'd be willing to take a 20% shave on my pay uh, to work for a purpose-driven company. All that said, I don't expect those numbers would necessarily hold up in real life at that level. And certainly there have to be differences across different categories and different brands. But the fact that this was a, a pattern that was consistent across all the subgroups, you know, just like the concern about different issues, this wasn't limited to one small group of the Gen Zs. It was true across the board. Mm -hmm. And what it says is purpose is is a competitive advantage. You know, what it does say is regardless of the actual level of investment people are willing to make in premium, it clearly is a competitive advantage that has economic value. So I want to go back. We talked about the fact that Gen Zers are willing to take less to work for a purpose-driven company. So are you finding that these companies you know, need to be changing the world in some shape or form, or is it more about you know, they're sustainable, they're good stewards of planet Earth? Is there a distinction in terms of the types of companies they're looking or willing to take a pay cut for? We didn't look at that in this survey, but I think you've raised a really important question. And this is one that, that I talk a lot about both in the class and with clients of Cubus Martini. Now, there's a difference between purpose and social mission. Right. So a purpose does not have to be about changing the world. It just has to be about doing something bigger than the things you sell. And I think Warby Parker is a great example of, of seeing the distinction between purpose and social mission. They talk about democratizing great eyewear. And fundamentally, Fundamentally, that is a business proposition about mm -hmm. taking advantage of the fact the established players in that category are in huge margins, that they could deliver great product 
for significantly less with a DTC model and expand literally the world of great eyewear. And, you know, think about Warby Parker, their whole purpose is to democratize great eyewear. And that is fundamentally a business proposition. You know, they looked at, at the dominant players who all charge a lot of money for glasses and have huge margins and said, look, we can make equally good looking glasses, equally high quality glasses and sell them for a fraction mm -hmm. using a DTC model. So, you know, that is a purpose and it drives their business. It is not a social mission, except that there is a social mission as one of the pillars of that, which is to use those economics to also give away free glasses. So I think ultimately purpose has to be connected in some way to why you exist in the world anyway. And if there's a social aspect to it, great. And certainly there are social responsibilities that companies are going to be held to, whether they want to be held to them or not. So right. as we look at the climate, you know, if you can make a contribution there, you're going to get credit for it. And if there are other issues in society that need fixing, as we know there are, and there is something that you can do naturally that comes out of, you know, operating your business in a more intelligent and purposeful way, that's great. And you'll get credit <laughs> for that as well. Brad, I'd like to switch gears to your consultancy. Can you just talk a little bit about the sort of the purpose discovery process? How are you helping clients hit on their purpose? I tell our clients first and foremost that our job is not to invent who they are. It's to uncover who they are, articulate it, and then help them uh, take flight with it. A lot of companies don't start from purpose. You know, they start in the business of selling soap or whatever it is, and sure. over time they're successful or not. And I think that's one of the challenges facing a lot of the legacy brands today is that, you know, many of the, uh, the, uh, the particularly DTC upstarts, you know, are starting from a standpoint of, I really believe that I can do well by doing good and that that is going to be a competitive advantage versus big established brands. So, you know, it's far more difficult when you're talking about an established player, but at some point there is something inside them that we know we can find. Now I've seen a lot, been part of a lot of failed processes, the workshops where the leader who ultimately has to own this process and own the outcome gets overly sensitive about making sure to gather input from all the attendees. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, that means that either you have the right attendees or you don't, and that can affect things. Some voices will dominate and skew the outcome, but ultimately the likelihood is that you're going to end up getting some form of least common denominator collection of words and ideas. I've seen processes where, you know, facilitators in that process decide they just want to inject their own point of view into the room. And ultimately, oftentimes this becomes an exercise where something that is fundamental to the organization is quote unquote solved in an afternoon. So when we look at it, it's really to step back and say, this is a deeper process that goes all the way back to the roots of the company. So, you know, we start by collecting and reviewing all the written audio and video content relevant to a, you know, a company or brand's creation story and their DNA and their culture. Even if a brand is part of a bigger company, the connection to that company and why the company itself was formed can give us some clues about, you know, what really does drive them. You know, once we've collected all that information, we have a base of knowledge to start to form, you know, the kind of questions that will make interviews richer and more productive. And what we'll do is individually interview founders if they exist, certainly all of the senior leaders and other key stakeholders. And that might include people in product design. It might include customers, could include a, a wide range range of different people just to hear what 
themes and language emerge and, you know, what are the commonalities? And when I say words, I also mean authentic language that is just naturally part of how people think that they may not even recognize uh, is there. And then we'll also take a look at peer organizations and see how they express themselves. But we're not really trying to see how to differentiate ourselves from the company from other companies. We're trying to find out what's authentic to them, regardless of where the overlaps are. But sometimes you, you just find things by looking at, at the peer and then what we'll do is we'll synthesize that. You know, we'll take all of what we've collected, which is often tens of thousands, well, that's maybe over-exaggerating, thousands of lines of, of language and, and words that we've collected, associate those into themes and connect that language to you know either a purpose or value, depending on, on where mm-hmm. we're falling. We'll take that, we'll draft purpose and values statements with, again, a focus on authentic, natural expression. And then we'll meet with the head of the organization to see what's resonating, to see you know if there's that aha moments where they go, yeah, how did you figure us out? It's like, well, I didn't even know that's, that about us, but it's true. And when we get that reaction, we're no, we're, we know we're onto it. But then what we do is we'll, we'll work with them to refine the language, to get the structure in a way that's very natural to them. And ultimately it has to live at the CEO level and the CEO or whatever the title is of the organization or unit that we're talking about here, it might be the head of the brand, but ultimately even the head of a brand in a multi-brand organization, the CEO is going to probably want to going to want to have some connection to, to this purpose as well. Once we get to a point where there is language that they can live with day in and day out, and we'll talk about that later, I suspect, we'll help them figure out how to now build real team alignment around, uh, around the language. That's really the discovery process. Yeah, it's quite the process. I found it interesting this the, the whole idea of the uh, you know, this aha moment, a wake-up call you know, on the part of the brand. Have you ever had the sort of the reverse where they're pushing back saying like, that just doesn't seem like it's right for the right for our brand. Or you then push back and say, no, based on all the information that we gather, this is actually right for your brand. On that last point, I would never say, no, it's absolutely right. Because ultimately the importance of this whole process is they have to own it and live it. And I can't impose that on them. I do think most processes kind of leave people going, I'm not really buying into that, but it's, you know, I, I went through the process, so that's what it's got to be. And yeah, I yeah. really don't believe that makes any sense. Well, it may not it may make sense. It doesn't work. And so, yeah, I've, you know, I've certainly had meetings where it's like, yeah, that's true, but it doesn't quite feel like it's at the center. And so then we go back, we go through it again. And it's an iterative process. You know, for me, it's more important to take the time to really make somebody go, yeah, that's it. Now, I got to tell you, there's nothing more exciting to me than when I walk in the room and they go, oh my God, you got it. I've had that happen a couple of times. And ultimately, whether I get that surprise reaction or not, the outcome has to be, yes, you've got it. At that point, at that point, we can talk about, okay, now how do we spread it and make right. it come to life? So you believe that a company's values can serve as a galvanizing force and activating purpose. Why is that, Brad? I, uh, it's, a, it's a good question, but I've seen it happen and I've seen when it's not there. So this one, it's why I built the consultancy, frankly. I think of a company or a brand as an organism. I think purpose is kind of the heart. It's who we are that powers you know, yep. what we, for our customers, for our people, and for the broader community. I think of values as the blood that fuels the heart, you know, the norms that shape the culture. When you get the two of those things in alignment, you've got a healthy system. And when they're not, it all breaks down. I've long uh, loved the very first thing that Jim Collins says when he talks about getting the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, quote, they must share the core values of the organization you're building. How do you get people to share your core values? 
You don't. You can get people to share. You can't give people new core values. The whole task is to find people who already have a predisposition to your core values that's already inside of them. Latent, perhaps, maybe it's already ignited, but it's there. But if it's there, it's something you can draw upon. And then those who don't have a predisposition to sharing the core values get ejected like a virus and escorted right out the door, unquote. And I love that. Even the word virus takes me back to the idea of the organism, the integrity of the system. Of course, all of that's dependent on the one simple but often elusive thing, which is you have to know what your values really are if you're going to live into them. But when you do, it makes it really easy to attract and retain and motivate the right people to live in a world where you have to you don't have to manage them aggressively. As a result, if you have the right values in place, it's so easy to scale because you can trust that the people that you have in the organization are operating from the same book as you are. Is there still a lot of confusion out in the marketplace, Brad, about the difference between values and a brand purpose? I think there's a fair amount of uh, confusion about the difference between purpose and mission and purpose and social mission. But I don't think there's confusion about values. I think what there is, again, the same kind of lack of work on figuring out what is truly authentic and important, a language around that versus just, oh yeah, we know we have to value, so let's make sure we get something on a sheet of paper. It's like mm-hmm. the first, my first sign that there's work to be is if the first value uh, in a value statement of a company is integrity. Like, okay, please introduce me to a company that doesn't have integrity. And why would you operate without that? So, you know, it's like, it's not so much about confusion about the difference. It's about making sure that both those things are developed and working in synergy. You alluded to earlier about the importance of creating leadership team alignment around the language of the purpose statement. Can you just elaborate a bit on that? Sure. I think it's probably important to start with what I mean by alignment. And this is always, this has been something that I've, I've really thought about a lot over mm-hmm. my time in, in running companies. Agreement is great. You know, people can walk out of a meeting saying, yes, that's the right thing to do and then do nothing to support it. By contrast, members of the team can debate and disagree on a course of action, but a team is only aligned when, regardless of how they feel, they individually and collectively um, put 100% behind making it happen. So for me, alignment is everybody's rowing in the same direction here. So that to me is is the, the basic starting point. Without leadership alignment about purpose, it gets lost in business as usual. <clears throat> the second point Uh, about this question of of alignment is what you call the language of the purpose statement. I tell my clients they need to find language that is authentic and compelling and simple enough that they can say it over and over and over again until it begins to take life. If they do that and the words aren't right, it'll be obvious very quickly and they can fix it and then keep it, uh, keep repeating it to keep it growing. But then they have to go beyond that, obviously, and transfer it to the organization. They need to get their closest circle of senior leaders to do the same thing. And then they have to transmit it to the next circle out and so on. I always stress this. It's like your biggest job is to get bored with your purpose, um, with talking about your purpose and to get over the boredom. Because the more people say it, the more it becomes a, a part of who they are, the easier they'll see when their actions are inconsistent with it, the more ways they'll see to bring it to life. In other words, the more it will really become the heartbeat of the organization. It's that thing you have to do. Right. And why the same words? It's, you know, it's, it's really the telephone game. If you're not consistent, it loses its edge. You know, if people reporting to you use variations, it could gets muddied. You know, by the time it makes its way down the organization, there's a chance that uh, it loses its meaning entirely. Especially when you push it outwardly too to consumers and customers. Exactly. 
Exactly. And you know, ultimately, I guess there's what the you know the ten thousand repetitions thing. It's like you just have to keep making it muscle memory, and one person can't do that. One of the things that I that I see that always a challenge is when a CEO falls in love with their purpose and doesn't do the work of creating um, organizational alignment, and they wonder why people don't seem excited about coming to work for that company. So I had mentioned, Brad, that you have about four decades of agency experience, including at McKinney. In your experiences, as you've worked with uh, clients, what have been some of the issues with activating purpose that you've seen? And do you have any advice for companies that perhaps are new in the purpose journey, things they need to think about in terms of activate, activation? Yeah, there are a few. First, and I think this is probably obvious, is they really haven't nailed what their real authentic purpose and values are. It's like painting a house. If you don't do the prep right, you're not going to get a, a great paint job. Again, I can't stress how much this is not a, a one-day process. It's really important to get at the roots and build up from there. The second is what we were just talking about is the alignment issue. You know, the CEO has to own the development of purpose and values, but then, you know, his or her job is to transfer ownership to the organization. And that's a constant process of enrollment and reinforcement. And it's one of those things, it's like a brand, you know, once you stop building a brand, you know, people can take that away from you. And ultimately, you know, purpose is certainly part of a brand. Third, I think, is believing that purpose and profit are mutually exclusive. You can't draw a straight line between who you are and what you sell. There's no way you're going to do the work that's needed to activate it and keep it growing. Another is the integrity of the offering. There are a multitude of touch points, especially today, especially in the DTC world, between a consumer and a brand or between an employer and an employee. And you know, I think uh, a lot of companies could do a better job of looking at each of those touch points and saying, does this reinforce or deliver on our purpose or not? It does keep doing it and celebrate it. Make sure people see it so they understand how purpose and business interact. You know, if it doesn't reinforce the purpose, are there ways that it can? If so, you know, try and do that if the investment makes sense. But most certainly if you're doing something that goes against your purpose, whether it's holding on to a senior leader who violates your values and puts a, a lie to uh, what you claim to be, stop doing it or get it out of the organization. For me, I believe such an important economic lever that it's worth a lot more effort than most companies put into making it happen. Interesting, Brad, you had mentioned, I think your number one point there was that if you're having an issue with the activation process, perhaps you don't have your purpose right. And I don't really hear that a lot. And that's interesting. Is that something that you see often that that purpose needs to be tweaked before you actually start moving down the road of activation? Well, I think particularly in companies that haven't really done the hard work to even understand or think about, you know, is this just something that I need to do because it's expected or is it something right. that really could make a difference in our success? Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there. But even with some of the companies that, you know, that are, are showing up new to the world today, sometimes they will say, okay, I, you know, I really need to manage my media by here to make sure I lower the cost of acquisition. And I also need a social mission. And it's, it's kind of like they're so focused on burn rate of the cash they have to grow their business and how do I cut the costs out of it? They will also find themselves sometimes in one of those uh, checklist situations where, you know, do I have my social mission? Check. Do I have values on my website? Check. And they need help to stand back and say, okay, is this really holistically a proposition that's going to get people excited where you're going to end up creating value above and beyond your ability to manage costs? So yeah, it's across the spectrum. Lastly, Brad, there's no doubt that there are companies out there that re continue to remain skeptical of placing purpose over profit. And as you mentioned, they're distinct. Can't, you can't draw a straight line between them. What, what advice do you have for companies about the power of purpose? 
It surprises me that there is skepticism, but I think one distinction, it's not purpose over profit. As I was thinking about this, you know, this is the Beyond Profit podcast, not the Instead of Podcast. Right. You know, I really think about purpose fueling profit, about doing better financially by expanding your view of how you can make a difference in the lives of your employees, your customers, and the community around you. Whether that is simply being about a different kind of standard for the business you're in, or truly having an effect beyond your business social earthly issues. I take it back to the study. You know, it's about the double top line. You know, people tell us they'll pay more for purpose-driven brands. People tell us they'll pay let take less pay to work for a purpose-driven company. At the very least, this says all else being equal, purpose is a competitive advantage. You think about Elon Musk and Dove and Nike and Apple. We keep coming back to those brands, not because they make great products, even if they do, it's because they live in the world in a bigger way that we respond to as human beings. Authentic, compelling purpose and values help you attract, retain, and energize the best people. They reduce the cost of customer acquisition because people say, yeah, all right, if I have to pick between these two products, I'll pick that brand that stands for more. It lets you manage less, scale smoothly, recover fast from problems because you know who you are and what you need to get back to. It helps you assess organic and acquisition opportunities because it says, okay, is this fit into who we are and where, where we see ourselves going. And we certainly see, Tesla is a great example of this, but there are hundreds of others, that when you have a clear purpose and can tell people where you're headed, even if you're not there yet, you're going to earn a premium valuation from investors. Brands are about the emotional connection you make with people above and beyond the actual thing you sell, period. Purpose right. is a powerful tool to build that kind of emotional connection. Now, that's what I have to say. But you know, as we know, the horse is already out of the barn. When the right. business roundtable says we can't just be about shareholder value anymore. This is not a niche issue. This is mainstream. For me, what I'd say is it's not about if, it's about how and about getting it right. Perfect. What a great way to end. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on Beyond Profit. I greatly appreciate it. Ken, it was a delight and I'm happy to talk anytime. To learn more about Brad's consultancy, please visit cubistmartini.com. That's cubistmartini.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.